for uh, Nell Kennedy Terry uh, this week. Uh, visitation will be at Wood McLean Funeral Home this Thursday from 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. That will be visitation Thursday, Wood McLean Funeral Home, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, her memorial service will be here at Bartow ARP Church in the sanctuary at 11 a.m. on Friday. So 11 a.m. on Friday. I want to make you aware of that. Uh, I'm sure if, if Nell could speak to us today, uh, she'd say indeed what that beautiful hymn just said. Uh, articulated to us that you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series called A Kingdom Mindset. Hopefully you noticed the, the, the promo for it in your bulletin. So take a Bible or grab a pew Bible and turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. Just a couple of verses to take a look at this morning. That'll be on page 867 in your pew Bible, just for your convenience. Luke 9, verses 46 through 48. I encourage you to turn there, read with me. Whenever I preach, it's an open book test. So you can check me, make sure I'm following God's word. Hear God's word this morning. It says, an argument arose among them, talking about Jesus' disciples, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come uh, through the reading, teaching, the preaching of your word this morning so that we might see Jesus, so that we might receive Jesus. So that we might be transformed and molded and shaped more into the likeness of Jesus. That's our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Camila Velieva. I had to say that name several times this morning. I still may, didn't get it right. How many of you recognize that name? Camila Velieva by a show of hands. Okay, me and my wife apparently. Okay, a few others. If, you have, if, that, if that name does not ring a bell, you need to get familiar with this girl. This is a 15-year-old girl that is a Russian figure skater. Not only is she just adorable, but she's impressive. I know, she, she skates for Russia. But last night she skated on prime time. And I've never seen a perfect match and meshing of absolute sheer skill, athleticism, competitiveness, and artistic abilities on ice. Why do I bring her up today? I'm bringing her up today because I want you to root for the Russian team during the, the Beijing Winter Olympics. No. But I think for every single one of us, 
we appreciate greatness. And for example, I've never put on a mini skirt with sequins and tried to learn ballet moves, and I don't care to either. Uh, guys, if you've ever wanted to, you can schedule a counseling appointment with me sometime this week or next week. But with that being said, I appreciate greatness, even on ice. This week, Tom Brady announced his retirement from the National Football League. You may like football, you may hate football, but at the end of the day, Tom Brady has been coined the GOAT, which stands for the greatest of all time. And you hated him too until he came to play quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You may not like classical music, but this morning I overheard one of our teenagers playing Beethoven and all these amazing runs up and down the piano. And you may not listen to classical music on a day-to-day -day basis. But let me say this. Today when I heard one of our students playing Beethoven, I was impressed. Why? Because we appreciate greatness. My brother-in-law is ordained in the church of God, so he's not a Calvinist. But he called me up one day and he said, I had to read John Calvin and his writings on the Holy Spirit. And he said, I got to give it to John Calvin. He had a lot of good stuff to say about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know, it tested my heart that day. But what was my brother-in-law communicating to me? He was communicating to me this fact that even though he's not a quote-unquote Calvinist, in his theology, because he loves Jesus, he can appreciate greatness in theology. I assume that every person in this sanctuary this morning has aspired to greatness at some point in their life. When you got married, I assume the best of you, that you didn't say, you know what, my goal is to become just a mediocre spouse. I uh, assume the best of you that in your line of work or your line of field and expertise, you don't get up on Monday morning and say, I just want to do enough to get by. No, I know our church, I know how competitive we are by nature, which is one of the many things I love about us. Everyone in this room aspires to greatness in some way, shape, or form. But what about in your relationship with Jesus? Do you aspire to greatness? And even if you do aspire to greatness in relationship with Jesus Christ, how do you know? How do you know whether you're measuring up to what Jesus considers to be great in his kingdom? Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series called A Kingdom Mindset. And the reason for this is because we're hitting a section of Luke's gospel where that's the best way to summarize the topic and the nature of the teaching that Jesus is going to articulate for us over the next several weeks. Is that Jesus is going to teach us the fact that what is great in his kingdom is not necessarily going to match with what our culture says. We all have a default in our hearts, which is a way towards sin and rebellion against God. And it does not match up with God's value system and the way God measures greatness in his kingdom. And so the question we want to ask today and answer today is, how does God measure greatness? How does God measure greatness? How do we measure greatness according to Jesus' standard? The great commentator H.G. Wood said this, that the question of precedence 
seems to have occupied the minds of the disciples more than once. We see it several times in the Gospels. And then he says this. But in this passage, it reveals the ideas of the kingdom, which make it difficult for them to understand the cross. You see, the way of Christ is countercultural. The way of Christ, the way of, that Christ measures greatness, goes against the grain of our hearts. So how do we measure greatness in God's kingdom? There's two criteria that Jesus gives us in these three verses that helps us measure greatness in God's kingdom. The first criteria is humility. The first criteria of greatness in the kingdom of God is humility. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are you a humble servant of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you a humble servant? Now, this passage in Luke's gospel doesn't give us a whole lot about the context, but we can pick up from Matthew's gospel and the other parallel accounts in in Matthew and Mark's gospel the context of this whole conversation and argument that takes place between the disciples. Here's what we know from the other gospels. At this point in the gospels, Jesus and his disciples have just reached Capernaum. They're getting ready to enter into a house, and the disciples have enjoyed some success. In fact, if you hold your place and Chapter 9, verse 46, and slip, uh, turn back to Luke chapter 9, verse 6. You'll get a sense of the context of the success the disciples have enjoyed. It says in verse 6, And they departed and went through the villages and preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they had enjoyed some success being obedient to, tr- to Christ's cause. And then in chapter 9, verses 28 through 36, we see the mountain of transfiguration. That... Peter, James, and John are given this opportunity to go up on the mountain with Jesus and they are able to see Jesus' divinity and his glory unveiled before them. And the Heavenly Father says, this is my beloved son, this is my son, listen to him. But no sooner than they roll off of the mountain, they encounter a humbling experience. They come upon a boy with an unclean spirit, and the disciples are unable to heal him. Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith and tells them, we learn from Matthew's gospel, that the reason they were unable to exercise the demon in that situation and circumstance is because they had not spent enough time humbling themselves before the Lord and praying. What, how does Jesus measure greatness in his kingdom? It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. He requires humility. And so we see this argument that, pers- that unfolds here in verses 46 through 48. Look at what it says. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. We learn from Matthew's gospel, they're asking the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And look at what it says in verse 47. Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts. The word there for for knowing is the idea that Jesus knew what they were discussing. And he continued to know what they were discussing and what they were debating until they reached Capernaum. And what was the reasoning of their hearts? They were having a comparison game about which one of us is the best. See, because like us, the disciples appreciate greatness. 
it's, we can logically deduce from the scriptures that perhaps what calls this debate and this argument to, to unfold before them is the fact that they're arguing over the fact that some of them were able to heal and some of them were not able to heal. And perhaps some of the disciples are beginning to get a little bit jealous because they know Peter, James, and John have been able to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And maybe they, Peter, James, and John had shared with the disciples what had happened. And they're beginning to get a little bit jealous. And so they're beginning to argue over the fact that, well, as we make our way to Jerusalem and they're expecting Jesus as the Messiah to conquer Rome, to overthrow the Roman government, they're saying, but who's going to hold the highest position in Jesus' kingdom? We know Judas, he'll probably take care of the money, but we know Peter, Peter's got some fight in him. So maybe he'll be head over the army. But then James and John are saying, you can't lead an army. We should lead the army because our nickname is Sons of Thunder. You want the Sons of Thunder to have that position. Obviously, they're, they're craving power because they want to be perceived by everyone among them. That they're great. As Norman Gellinahu says, the minds of his disciples were still so self-centered. And Jesus is grieved. Why? Because in Jesus' kingdom you determine greatness. Not by how haughty or cocky someone is. Rather, you determine greatness in Jesus' kingdom by their humility. Had an elder of another church ask me this week, do you ever share the same stories and illustrations at time? And I said, I do. I said, I feel bad when I do. He said, don't feel bad that you do. Just feel bad when you forget, when you forget that you've shared a story <laughs> before. So that's when you get nervous. I've shared this with you, I believe, in, in the past, and it's worth repeating. When I was in seminary, I attended a Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. I enjoyed my time there, enjoyed Charlotte, a beautiful place to live. And Jennifer and I attended a Presbyterian church there while I was in seminary called Forest Hills Presbyterian Church. And the, and the pastor of that church was a very phenomenal communicator, a phenomenal preacher and expositor of God's Word. His name is Dr. David Chadwick. David had a, a radio program there in Charlotte, and David became uh, good friends, good acquaintances with um, Reverend Billy Graham. And there was one Sunday that, that Dr. Chadwick shared with the congregation the first time that he met Billy Graham. And you got to know something about, about David Chadwick. He had actually served, uh, he had actually played for the University of North Carolina, had made it to the Final Four, had played in a championship game uh, under Dean Smith. I mean, he knew some big wigs, but he said the only person he ever got nervous meeting was Reverend Billy Graham. He said the first time he met Billy, Dr. Billy Graham was so, so gracious to him. He said, Dr. Chadwick, I've heard wonderful things about your ministry. And David said he was so, so nervous, he said, you too, you too, Mr. Graham, you too. They became good acquaintances. Uh, David Chaddock was actually part of the, the, the photo op for, for breaking ground on Billy Graham's library there in Charlotte. And David Chaddock was actually given the opportunity to go with Billy Graham in his first tour of the, the Billy Graham library there in Charlotte, North Carolina. So David Chadwick shared with us one Sunday morning, he said, uh, I had the privilege this week of going through the library, the Billy Graham library with, 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 uh, with Billy Graham. 
He said when they got to the end of the tour, those that had helped design the, the library, those that had helped construct the library, asked Billy Graham, they said, what do you think about it? Is there any constructive criticism you would give us? Anything that we need to improve on? Anything we need to tweak or change? And Billy Graham looked at everyone there and he said, it's beautiful. I only have one problem with the whole library. And they said, okay, what is it? He said, in that library, there's way too much about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a great man of God. Because Billy Graham was a humble man of God. It takes a humble man that's preached to as many people as he's seen and the Holy Spirit move. That people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to say, there's way too much about me in that building. We should put more up about Jesus. Friends, do you value what Jesus values? When it comes to greatness, do you value what Jesus values? Because here's what we learn from this passage, that Jesus values humility. Because he says in verse 48, that it says in verse 47 that he took a child and put him by his side. And basically tells his disciples that if you want to come to his kingdom, you got to come into his kingdom like a child. R. Kent Hughes says this, Pride is the sin that we cannot see in ourselves, and yet we so detest it in others. Why is humility so important in Jesus' kingdom? Because Jesus is the standard. Why is humility so important in Christ's kingdom? Because Jesus is the standard. We affirmed our faith together today using Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Did you notice how many times it reiterates the fact that Jesus humbled himself? It exhorts us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Why? Because Jesus humbled himself. Why is humility the first criteria that Jesus uses to measure greatness in his kingdom? Because Jesus himself is the standard. Friends, as we aspire to do great things for God, as we aspire to be faithful servants in whatever vocation God has called you to serve, Do a check and balance in your heart and your life. If your view of greatness does not have Jesus as the standard, then you need to repent. Friends, if you're not a Christian and you are turned off to Christianity because you've seen maybe even a Presbyterian minister be haughty and arrogant because of what he knows and how much he knows, then let me apologize to you and say it. Many times in my life, I've resembled that man. 
And as we grow in holiness, we should grow in humility because everything that this book teaches us about God and about ourselves should humble us more and more as we grow closer to Jesus and die to ourselves. That's the first criteria that Jesus uses in measuring greatness. It's humility. You need to ask yourself, are you a humble servant? The second criteria that we see in this passage that Jesus uses to measure greatness is selflessness. Notice I didn't say selfishness, but selflessness, the, the opposite of being selfish. And so ask yourself, are you a selfless servant? Indulge me just a little nerdy moment. I've, I've had some of you say, ah, it kind of bores me when you talk about the Greek, but there's something fun here that I found very interesting. If you circle the word for argument in verse 46, and then circle the word for reasoning in verse 47, and draw a line between them, here's what I find interesting. In the original Greek, those two words are the same word. Why is that important? Well, there's this argument and this debate that ensues between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is saying here, telling us in the word of God, that Jesus understands the reasoning for the argument. In other words, he not only understands what they're arguing about, but he understands what the root of the conflict truly is. That's what it says in verse 47. Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. In other words, Jesus knows that the heart of the problem is a matter of the heart. That these men are selfish, self-absorbed, self-consumed. And as normal Gelden who says, he uses a living, breathing child as a prop. And so I don't know how you preach like Jesus unless you preach like Jesus. So George, Connor, will you come up here, buddy? Here's what happened. Yeah, buddy, why don't you come up here? I'm going to have you come up on the stage. Go this way. If you jump, they'll get all nervous. The deacons worry about lawsuits. Yeah. So here's what Jesus does. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. So Jesus says, you want to be great? It says that Jesus took a child and he put a child beside him. Let's step up here, but let's not step off. Okay? So come up here. Come up here. Yeah. So Jesus puts a child in front of him as a living, breathing, visible prop while he's preaching. Can you stay right there? I need to grab my Bible. Okay, thanks. You stay right there. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Now this was revolutionary because at that time in the Jewish culture though children were loved they were not revered very greatly. In fact one author, one Jewish scholar said in the Talmud that if you want to waste your life spend your time drinking wine in the middle of the day and chattering with children. Which is exactly what Jesus did. He spent his time in the middle of the day chatting it up with, with kids. What is Jesus teaching them? He's teaching them the importance, not only of humility, but selflessness. George, do you have a job? Yeah. You do? What do you do for your job? I clean my room. You clean your room? Okay. How much money do you make? Two dollars. Two dollars. Okay, well, you're ruining my illustration. 
Who pays you? My mom. Your mom? Where does your mom, where does your mom get her money? Uh, at the bank. At the bank? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's on a tree. It grows in your backyard. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's a good. I'm very proud of you. I'm glad that you're, you're honoring your mom and dad and you're learning how to clean your room. That's very good. I'm very proud of you. The point Jesus is making is that children are dependent upon their parents for food, for shelter, for safety, for wealth, protection. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be not only humble, but you've got to be a selfless servant. And you've got to come, and you'll be able to receive children like this one. Jesus says, why? In my name. In other words, the reason you're doing it is for me, Jesus says. Not for the acclaim or the credit that you're going to get in your relationships or in your community. In other words, what Jesus says in verse 48 is, who is least among you all is the one who is great. What is he teaching? He's teaching us the criteria for greatness in his kingdom is not only humility, but selfless service. George, thank you for helping me today. I really appreciate it. We all say thank you, George. Okay, I'm going to have you go back that way and go sit with your parents. Very good. <laughs> Do you serve how Jesus serves? Jesus served selflessly. He humbled himself. We affirmed our faith with Philippians 2 to the point of death. On the cross. Why do we measure greatness by Jesus' standards? Because Jesus is the standard of greatness. There was a, a video I saw on social media this week that really, at first, just grabbed my attention, but by the end, had me crying in tears. So, no, I've never, I've never wanted to be in a ballet costume, but I did cry watching a video this week. So, hopefully, you won't take my man card from me. But here's what the video had. It had a couple on their wedding day. And the groom is in a wheelchair. He's, wheel bound. He's, he's wheelchair bound. How many of you have seen this video? Have you seen it? Okay. Martha has. Okay, some of you have. It shows this couple this, that's on their wedding day at the reception. And here's what happens. The husband is sitting there. His wife comes up to him. She talks to him and kisses him. And then suddenly... Two of his groomsmen come up and put chairs down beside of his wheelchair. His two groomsmen sit down in the, wheelchair, in, in the chairs beside him on the wheelchair. And when, next thing you know, each of the groomsmen have strapped like a big band around their legs and around one of the legs of the groomsmen. Around the groom, rather. The groom puts his arms around each of the, the necks of his groomsmen that are on his right and on his left, and they stand him up and prop him up. Next thing you know, his, the groom's wife, the bride, comes in. She leans her head into his chest, and his groomsman on his left turns his head to the left to give them some privacy. The groomsman on the right turns his head to the right, and they begin rocking back and forth. So that this groom can dance with his wife on his wedding day. 
Now, why did those men do that? Because they loved their friend. And why did they look away? Because it was not about themselves. It was all about him. I don't know the nature of that family and their faith in Christ. But man, what a picture of Jesus. What a picture of greatness in the kingdom of God. That Jesus values not only humility, but selfless service. In the community, many of you serve at a variety of capacities. Is that how you serve as selflessly? Many of you serve here in the church. Do you do it for your own glory, your own name, recognition, or do you do it for Jesus? See, Jesus says here in verse 48 that it's all about him. And it's not about what we accomplish. It's about what we receive in the gospel. He says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And you see, one of the great things about understanding a kingdom mindset in God's kingdom is that the good news is that it's not about what we do, but it's about what God has done for us in Jesus. Why is selfless service so important for measuring greatness? Because Jesus is the standard. It says that Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How do you measure greatness? You measure greatness according to Jesus' criteria of humility and selflessness. Was Muhammad Ali the greatest? According to him, he was. If you didn't know, just ask him. One of the members of the church, he and I debated this week, and we were in agreement that Mike Tyson was probably the greatest boxer of all time. But I want to I conclude today's sermon with this fun question. Who's the greatest at the Bartow ARP church? Who do you think? Oh, geez. Okay, you jumped to the trump card there, buddy. I was going to have a little bit, can I still have a little bit more fun? Who's the greatest of the Bartow ARP church? If you were to say who is the greatest, maybe you would think Pastor Tanner's the greatest. But no, I regret to inform myself I'm not the greatest. Maybe you say Patrick Darty, he's the greatest. Libby Darty definitely agrees with that. Or maybe you think some of the staff that we have the privilege of serving alongside here are the greatest. Let me say, they are good, they are great, but are they the greatest at the Bartow ARP church? Not according to this passage. What about the elders? The elders of the church. I mean, they've got to put up with Tanner, and they've got to help Tanner along. Well, they are really, really good. In fact, they're great, but according to this passage, they're not the greatest. So then you'd say, well, it has to be the deacons. Because not only do the deacons have to put up with Pastor Tanner and the elders, whoo, isn't that a burden? And they are good, they are great, and we're grateful for them. But according to this passage, they're, they're not the greatest. Who's the greatest of the Bartow ARP church? I'm going to embarrass you because I'm going to make you stand. If you serve in any way, shape, or form in the youth ministry of this church, I want you to stand and remain standing. Stand. Come on. Stand, remain standing. 
If you serve in the children's ministry of this church, either Sunday school or kids club or Sunday nights, I want you to stand. Don't be embarrassed. Stand. If you're one of the gracious people that serve in the nursery or the nursery rotation of this church, will you please stand? Look around. These are the greatest members of the Bartow ARP Church because they serve the least of these among us. To Christ alone be the glory. Will you all please stand with them as we pray?